Remember the 1970s? You probably remember that song from the birds. Let's play pretend. Let's play pretend that your banker phoned you on Friday and said he has some very good news for you. He told you that an anonymous donor who loves you very much has decided to deposit 86,400 pennies into your account each morning starting tomorrow. That's $864 a day, seven days a week, 52 days a year. But there's one stipulation. You must spend all the money the same day. No balance will be carried over to the next day. Each evening, the bank debits whatever sum you fail to use. So with a big smile, you thank your banker and you hang up. And over the weekend, you have time to plan. You have a pencil, grab a pencil and you start to figure. $864 times 7 equals over $6,000 a week times 52. That's almost $315,000 a year that's available to you if you agree to spend it all in one day. Remember, whatever you don't spend is forfeited. Now, so much for let's pretend. Now, let's get serious. Each morning, someone who loves you very much deposits into your bank of time 86,400 seconds, which represents 1,440 minutes, which, of course, equals 24 hours a day. God gives you this amount of time for you to use each day. Nothing is ever carried over on credit the next day. Time is so significant because it's so rare. It is completely irretrievable. You can't repeat it or you can't relive it. Our teacher Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, page 54, if you grab a pew Bible. Solomon is continuing on his journey in this, uh, as, uh, as he views life and what he looks out and as he sees life. And, and he's written down his travels in the book of Ecclesiastes as he searched and as he sought things and as he's looked. And in chapter 1, he says, you know, everything's vanity. It is breath. It is vapor. It's a, it's a chasing after the wind. And then the, last week we looked at the fact that in life under the sun on planet Earth, the things that we try to fill our days with, pleasure and wisdom and work, those kind of come up empty too. I mean, those are things that they're fun for the moment perhaps, but they don't really last and they're fleeting and they go by so very quickly. And now Solomon turns his attention to time. And there are three things that he's going to tell us about time in this passage that we're looking at today in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the first thing that he tells us about time is this. There's an occasion and a duration for everything under heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 8 that you just read on the screen. That's what it says. There is a season for everything and a time. There's a, there's a time and there's a duration. And so Solomon uses these kind of opposites in these groups of groupings of seven as he wants us to understand that time has this totality. All things happen in life. 
And what he says is, all of our activities, both constructive and destructive, and all the things that happen to us in life, happen what? In their times. There's a time, and there's a season for everything. And so when we read it in context, what he's saying is, that as mere mortals, we will die. Our work will perish with us. No human is eternal. And so in this list, he starts out with a time to be born and a time to die. It's kind of the, the, the totality of life. And at the end of this list, he kind of gives two of the major emotions of life. A time of love, a time of hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. And so what he does is he gives us these extremes. And he, at the beginning and at the end, he says, you know, these are things we have no control over. We have no control over our time to be born and when we die, we have no control over war and no control over peace. And so what he does is he says there's a time for everything. Now, we like to stay on the positive side of the list. I mean, look at all the great things that he says. You know, a time to plant, a time to heal, time to build up, a time to laugh, a time to dance, a time to embrace, a time for love, a time for peace. We love to stay on the positive side of the list. But Solomon looks out at life and what does he say? Life is all of it. It's not only the good stuff. Life brings all this other stuff. And all of those things are part of life. And yet at the same time, what Solomon is saying is, there is a time and there's a season for everything. And so what it says is that, that there's, this, there's this, the, these things that happen to all of us. And over it all is a God who sees time, who has created time. And since there is a sense that there's a time for everything, it can give us actually a sense of security instead of despair. Maybe you're going through a time right now in your life. You're on that negative side of the list. It's not the positive side. And what Solomon does is says, you know what? The things that you are going through are just the stuff of life. It's just things that happen as we live life here on planet Earth. There is a time and a season for everything. Everything happens to everyone. No one is exempt from all of the good things that happen in life. And no one is exempt from the hard things that happen in life. And so the very first thing that he says is this. There's an occasion, there's a time, and a duration for everything. Nothing lasts forever, even those seasons that we find ourselves in. So whether it's a a good season or a difficult season, Solomon says it's not going to last forever. There's a time for it. There's, there's There's a duration for it. But then he goes on in this kind of observation of time as he looks. And he says in verse 9, he says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. And so right in the middle of that, uh, his, his view on time, Solomon reminds us of this. That God transforms times and circumstances. What does he say in verse 11? God, what? Has made everything beautiful in its time. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear that. That God makes everything beautiful 
in its time. Solomon says, what do we do? He talks, he's back to work again. He says, we work to make money so that we can spend it, so that you can work and make more money, so that you can spend it, so that you can get more, which will mean you spend more and you're working harder to make more. He says, it's a striving after the wind. Life on planet Earth, Solomon tells us, without God is the pits. And that's not the way God designed it. He wants to be in the middle of it. And until God fills the vacuum in our hearts that only he can fill, nothing will satisfy. God has designed us with a vacuum in our lives that only he can fill. And he says, you're going to fill it with something. The vacuum can't just remain a vacuum in our lives. We are going to fill it because that's how we're created. So we're going to fill it with pleasure. We're going to fill it with work. We're going to try to fill it with relationships. And so what Solomon says in this journal, this is kind of the first time that he gives us a view above the heavens. Remember the key phrase over and over in Ecclesiastes is life under the sun. Folks, if this is all we have, it's very depressing. If all we have is what we see and all we have is life under the sun, we might as well just close up shop now and go to brunch because there's not much hope. And that's kind of where Solomon has been. Solomon looks at time. And I think that one of the reasons that we struggle, just like Solomon did, is we know we only have so much time. And we know that time is passing. But Solomon says what happens is God makes everything beautiful in its time. He puts God in the middle of it. And so there's two things that Solomon says that God has given. Did you notice those in verse 10 and verse 13? God says, Solomon says, what God has given us in life on planet Earth, this life, this history that's moving somewhere, but yet it's still cyclical. We, we are born, we live, and we die. We're born, we live, and we die. Humans have done that from the beginning of time, of creation of Adam and Eve. And Solomon says, when we look, but what God has given us while we are on this planet, the first thing he says is in verse 10, he's given us gifts. And what he says is, I want you to be joyful and do good. Because what he says in verse 10 is what? He says, I want you to keep busy. He wants us to keep busy. He says that I want you to... Why does God say keep busy while we're on this planet? Because we could be like Solomon. We could look and we say, man, this life is the pits. It just... What am I doing all this for? I might as well go into my room, close the door, pull the drapes shut and not do anything. But Solomon pulls us back. He says, no, God has given us a task to do while we're here. We are to create just like God has created. We are to bring order out of chaos, just like God brought order out of chaos. And he says, what do we do? He says, he keeps us busy in verse 10 that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Now listen, God has not given us busyness, but he's given us business. And business is to what? Bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Why does he say that he's given the children of man busyness? Do you know why? Because idleness leads to trouble. Kids are home on summer vacation now. Mom and dad are at work. They got nothing to do. What are they doing? Writing poetry. They're building things, right? They're, no, they're getting in trouble all over the place. That's why we have nanny cams and all those kinds of things. Because idleness leads to trouble. And so God says, if we're just idle on this life, we are going to be in trouble. We're going to look for something to do, but it's not going to be creative. But the other thing that he says, because we are to be joyful and to do good, he says in verse 13, to enjoy your work. Listen, there's nothing wrong with enjoying your work. To know that no matter what job you have, that you're contributing something to society. You're contributing some kind of order in the midst of an otherwise chaotic world. And he says, we are to enjoy our work. We're not to make it an idol. It's not to be the, the, the ends, but it's to be the means. 
So he says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. You know, God's disposal of time is beautiful. God's actions are not arbitrary. They're appropriate. God does what he does when it needs to be done. One Sunday morning at a small southern church, a new pastor called on one of his older deacons to lead the opening prayer, and the deacon stood up, bowed his head, and said, Lord, I hate buttermilk. The pastor opened one eye and wondered where this was going. The deacon continued, Lord, I hate lard. Now the pastor was totally perplexed. The deacon continued, Lord, I ain't too crazy about plain flour either. But after you mix them all together and bake them in a hot oven, I just love biscuits. You say, after God's done with the baking and the mixing, it'll probably be something even better than biscuits. We don't like the individual ingredients in life at times. But what does God do? He makes everything beautiful in its time. He's working to that end. And so what it means is, even the ugly times, there's a, there, is a, there is a time that we go through that. Mourning and crying and separation are painful, but there's a time when it's right and it's even beautiful to mourn because we live in this broken world. Listen, without the hard things in life, do you know there's a lot of good things that would never happen? Without suffering, there's no need for compassion. But we, we love compassion and we love how people rise up and are compassionate in very difficult times. We wouldn't need compassion if there was no suffering. Without tragedy, there's no need for bravery. Don't we love those stories of, of people who rescue people in these tragic circumstances and they rush into burning buildings and they go into collapsing buildings and earthquakes? Why? But without the fire or the earthquake, there would be no need for the bravery. Without Hate, there's no need for forgiveness, and we know what a beautiful thing forgiveness is. You see, the good times pass, Solomon says, but also the hard times pass. There is a season. And so what do we do? We accept the fundamental reality that we are creatures who are in time. So Solomon says, respond appropriately to the times and the seasons of life. Because God will do what? It will be made beautiful in its time. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to cross that out and say God makes everything beautiful in my time. Isn't that how we relate to God? God, you're not fast enough. You're not doing it how I want to do it. It says God is what? In his time. From beginning to end, God is doing this. He's making it beautiful in his time. How much we fail to see because we miss God's timing, his purpose in tragedy, and his redemption in calamity. We focus our attention on the wrong thing. We see the fuzzy, ugly cocoon. God plans and sets in motion, what? A beautiful butterfly. We see the painful, awful process, but God is producing the value of the product. We see today, he is working on forever. How do we know that? In verse 11, he says, God has put eternity into our hearts. You know what eternity in our hearts means? That we have a curiosity about the future. God gives us the capacity to see beyond today. There's this eternal itch for tomorrow. Don't we have that? Especially if we're in a rough season right now, we really have that eternal ish for tomorrow because we want things to be better. We just want to kind of get out of this. And so what, he, what, the, what Ecclesiastes reminds us is God has put that eternity in our hearts because we're moving somewhere and we have this itch that things will get better at some point. Although we're creatures of time, Solomon's going to remind us, we're not animals who are fully and exclusively creatures of time. We are hybrids. Why? Because in verse 11, God has put eternity into man's hearts, into the hearts of men and women. God has put this itching for eternity. We have a temporal life, but we have this inner longing for eternity. We, we yearn for immortality. 
That's how God created us. Do you know death is unnatural? God originally created us, body and soul, to live together in fellowship with him. But when sin entered the world, what happened? Death. And death means separation. It's a separation of the soul from the body. It's unnatural. People who die right now, people who have died, are in an unnatural state. God has created his body and soul to live together. That's how he has created us. And so we have this yearning because of the soul part of us, the eternal, that, that uh, spiritual part of us to long for eternity. And so Solomon says, the problem is God's put eternity into our hearts, but we can't figure out what he's doing. <laughs> so in verse 11, he says, we don't know what he's doing from beginning to end. I can't find it out. I can't figure it out. And a lot of our lives, we're just going around and saying, Lord, what are you up to? What's going on? And Solomon understands that the realistic view of life is we have eternity in our hearts, but if we're honest, we can't quite get it all figured out. There's still this little elusive piece of it. So he says, be joyful and do good, because there's something in us that longs for eternity. It's not a defeatist attitude. He says, during this sojourn on on planet Earth, life under the sun, because God makes things beautiful in its time, because he's put eternity in your hearts, I want you to be joyful and do good. Don't be a hindrance to other people on planet earth. Do good and practice a happy life. He says provision and contentment are what? Are the provisions of God. Don't be embittered by what God has not given us. We should enjoy the gifts God has given us. Excessive mourning and toil is just as wrong as excessive dancing and laughing. And Solomon said there's a time for everything. And life is just a balance of all of those. You see, joy is the confidence resulting that God is in control of all events. There was a man who gave his business to God. He had hassled over it for years. He had wrestled with it, and he fought it for two decades. One day he decided, I have had it. That's enough. He decided he had worried enough. He totally and unequivocally turned his entire business over to God. That very night, the business caught on fire. He got an emergency call. He calmly drove to his place of business and was calmly standing on the street watching his business go up in flames. And he was sort of smiling to himself. One of his colleagues raced to his side and questioned this kind of relaxed attitude about what was happening. And he says, man, don't you know what's happening to you? It's, it's, it's burning up. He replied, I know. I know. He says, no problem, Fred. This morning I gave this company to God. And if it goes up in flames, that's his business. What a statement of trust and of joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And because we can't figure out the beginning from the end, Solomon tells us it causes us to fear God. God does things that cultivate respect for him. That's what biblical fear is. We respect God. And so in verse uh, 14 and 15, he says, Whatever God does endures forever so that people fear before him. Because we are mortals and we are stuck in time. We look at this God who sees all and knows all and has all time and things under his control. And we have this fear for him. God says that, uh, Psalmist says that God's work is eternal and God's work is perfect. What he does is good. God's actions are complete and they're permanent. With God, it's never too little, too late. It's never too much. It's never too early. It's never anything missing. That's who God is. And so we have this fear of God. And so what he says is, in this optimistic way, in verse 15, he says, what has already been, which is going to be, and over and over. And so what he says is, God is is present to assure this continuity of the world. 
And so it's this all-inspired reaction to God and his ways. When we do something, we, without exception, leave out something. Or there's something that will be needed to make it right. We aren't thorough. We don't do permanent work. If you've ever had a house built, you know you're all excited to get the house built. And then you move in. And what happens? You start to see things. There's a wall that goes this way. And the door doesn't close tight. And there's a light fixture missing here. Why? Because that's who we are as humans. We leave things out. We don't do things perfectly. We design things that will become obsolete fast. We do things that frustrate people. But God doesn't do that. His way is what? It is perfect and it is complete. And so Solomon says, listen, I want you as you are maybe struggling with life here on planet earth, struggling with this whole issue of time to know that God's ways are perfect and God's ways are complete. We can stand in fear of him. So far, so good. Solomon says there's a time and there's a season for everything. He says God's ways are perfect And you, maybe you, like Solomon, are thinking about everything that's going on in the world. And you're thinking, what is going wrong? It doesn't seem like God's ways are perfect. It doesn't seem like there's always these good things that God has under control. And so it's almost like Solomon is is, is anticipating an objection to the perfection of God's plan. And so what he does is he, he has us above the sun, that God makes everything beautiful in its time. He's placed eternity in our hearts. And then he brings us back down to earth. Look at verse 16, or yeah, 16. Moreover, he said, I saw under the sun, he brings us back down, That in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and every work. Solomon, he just extolled God's perfect timing and his plan. He looks around and he says, you know what? It's not really how it is on planet Earth. In fact, Solomon says, one of the absurd things that I've observed on planet Earth is that there is often corruption and perversion of justice and oppression in the very place that it should be, the court. The place where justice should be given out. And so Solomon comes back down to planet Earth. He says, you know what? Things aren't quite right here, but God has a final day of judgment for that. And so Solomon observes this injustice, and he says, even there was wickedness. It's almost as if Solomon has just talked about this great plan of God, and he looks around on planet Earth, and he says, oh man, there's even wickedness all over the place. But he affirmed that God was not ignorant of injustice. Isn't that how we struggle many times in life? Of some injustice that we have received or something that we feel that is owed to us that we don't get. Someone is talking uh, slander and lies about us and we just want to set it straight. Somebody doesn't give us what they owe us and we, we just want to set it straight. And there's always this sense of, of unfairness and injustice in, in our lives. And Solomon says, I, I see that and I'm aware of that. And so what he says is this, that God will judge every matter in its time. But while he, we are waiting for him to do that, we need to remember our mortality. And so Solomon uses this kind of crazy illustration. And what he says is in verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. So Solomon looks around. He says, you see the injustice? You see the oppression? You see the, the, the corruption that's going on? God is, can use that to test us to see that we're beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. So as one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. 
Solomon says, you know all the craziness you see in the world? Do you know what that should remind us of? That we're beasts. We don't always love people. We are mean. We are cruel. We are selfish. We are unforgiving. We ourselves have not given justice. We ourselves have not been fair. We ourselves have not given what we want others to give us. And so Solomon says, whenever I see the things that are going on in the world, what it should remind us is that we, as mankind, are just beastly. And that's what he brings us back to. He says that, that the, the things that we see, when you watch the news and you see the things happening, you should just be reminded, yeah, that's people, we're just beasts. Why are we hoping things are going to get better? We're just beastly in our natural state. Now, what he doesn't say is we're no better than animals because we have eternity in our soul. But what it does suggest is we have a common mortality. There's the old sign that says dead end. And one time somebody painted over a sign and says, what isn't? (laughs) What isn't a dead end? Jobs are going to end. Everything's going to end, right? Everything is a dead end. And Solomon says our beastly behavior reminds us, reminds one another that we are like the beast. What he's saying is we are to take death seriously so that we can use this time we have well that we have under the sun. You see, what happens is Ecclesiastes forces us to see this dreadful terror of death and then to cling to God for salvation. Ecclesiastes does not deny that God can raise us from the dead. It was only into man, men and women, that we had this eternity set in our hearts. It was only the breath of life that God breathed in to man in Genesis 2-7. And what happens is because that dual part of us, it allows our spirits once again to be reunited with God. But Solomon only raises the question. He says, who knows, in verse 21, whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. If you've ever been with a loved one who has died... Or if you've ever been around a pet who has died, Solomon's not saying they're equivalent in their dignity and worth, but what he's saying is you really can't tell the difference when they both take their last breath. What happens to the spirit of a person? What happens to the animal? He said from the outside, it both looks the same. And so he says, who knows? And he says, it appears to deny that we're just no better than the animals. But what he's actually saying is that when we feel like we have the power in ourselves to transcend death, when we have the power to do it all of ourselves, we're just no better than the beasts who have no control over their lives. You know what the ancient Egyptians used to do? Their religion was so certain that people were immortal that they were obsessed with preparing their tombs for the afterlife. And so they would put in all kinds of treasures and equipment and things that the person's going to need, right, in the afterlife. They were trying to do something to prepare themselves on this earth for the life hereafter. But the Bible says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty six. So what does this do? For Christians, this should drive us closer to Christ, who conquered death in the resurrection. See, what happens is our hope is based solely on the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we have something that Solomon didn't have. What what do we have that Solomon didn't? We have the resurrection and the knowledge of the resurrection. Solomon and his people were looking for the great prophet, the Messiah, to come. And as Solomon wrote his journal about his experiences with time, we understand something that he didn't. We have a different perspective than he didn't. God has placed into our lives a curiosity about the future. 
And we, just like Solomon, can be a little melancholy about the passing of time. You know, there's a time in your life when you love to celebrate birthdays. You can't wait till you're double digits, 10. You can't wait till you're a teenager, 13. You can't wait till you drive, 16. You can't wait till you're an adult, 18, right? You can't wait till 21. You, you can't, and then there comes a time in your life, you know, you hit those, whatever time that is. For me, it was 22. I remember all those times. I'm like, oh, 21, I'm kind of an adult now. And then 22 came along, and I'm like, this stuff's for real. These birthdays don't stop. They just keep on coming. That's what Solomon's doing. He's looking at life. He's saying, you know what? Life doesn't stop. Time keeps moving on. And if we aren't careful, we, like Solomon, can be a little melancholy. We look at life, and it goes by so very fast because we have this eternity in our hearts. But listen, Solomon didn't know something that we know. That's the resurrection of Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25, Paul says this, and I want this to be an encouragement to you today. If you're struggling with time, if you're in a season now where you're just wanting to get out of this season, if you're in that place and you're like, I don't know about life, it's just moving so fast, and and all those things that Solomon has talked about, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time... Did you hear that? I consider that the sufferings of this present time... I consider that the sufferings of what? This present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation itself is groaning. We are groaning to get out of this body and out of this hard season. And Paul says, yes, in this present time we have these sufferings. But listen, there's a time coming when what we experience here can't even be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see the time references that Paul uses? Someone said, you know you're getting older when you announce when you stand up and you announce when you sit down. That's the groaning of the pains of childbirth of creation. When you stand up and it takes a while to get your entire body moving in the same direction all at the same time. That's what he's saying. He says we are, and not only the creation, he says, not only this world is groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as son, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. You need to memorize that little piece of scripture. You need to understand that little piece of scripture. For in this hope we were saved. What is, what is the hope when we were saved? What is the hope that we have? For in this hope we were saved. What? The redemption and the restoration of all things. Time is, history is moving to a point. And we are going to be resurrected one day. We are going to be made new. Everything is going to be set straight. The scales are going to be balanced. God is going to have his way. And Paul says it's in this hope that we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul says in this time, 
in this season, we have a hope that even Solomon didn't have. And what's that hope? The hope is the resurrection of Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. That's the curiosity in our hearts. That's eternity that's set in our hearts. It's the desire. Paul says it's the groaning. It's the waiting for something else. See, here's what Jesus does with that dead end sign. He puts over top of it, it is not a dead end. You see, in Jesus, there is no dead end. It is new life. Death is just the separation, but there'll be resurrection when we are once again reunited. In 1 Corinthians 5.14, look at the verse on your notes. And if Christ has not been raised, this is why the resurrection is our hope. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Listen, if Jesus isn't alive, what we're doing is in vain. Have we heard that word before in Ecclesiastes? Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Without the resurrection of Jesus, this is all vain. It's just a breath. It's just a vapor. It's here today and literally gone tomorrow. It's a chasing after the wind. And Paul reminds us that because of the resurrection of Jesus, that's where our hope is, that no matter what the time or the season that we find ourselves in, that I can find joy in my life as I walk planet Earth because I know that there is a promised reward waiting for me, and that's the new heavens and the new earth. Here's how God ultimately makes things beautiful in its time. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 on your notes. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That ultimately is how God makes everything beautiful in its time. It's the resurrection of Jesus. Whenever we gather around the gravesite at the cemetery, we are putting in the ground something that is perishable. It's sown in in dishonor. It's, it's been corrupted sin, uh, sin. It's sown in weakness. That's why the person has died, because of weakness. It's natural. It's, it's made of the dust of the earth. But the hope is, at the resurrection, that there's going to have honor, and we're going to have power, and we're going to have a spiritual body, and it's going to be imperishable. And so that's the hope that we have in this season in life. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are compared to what? And so Solomon would say, well, you know what we do? Instead of trusting the resurrection, instead of living our lives in the resurrection, we're going to fill our lives with all kinds of other things to try to find the hope and the meaning. And so we go back to where he says, we're going to try to find pleasure, and we're going to try work, and we're going to try relationships, and we're going to try all the stuff of the world to try to give us what only the resurrection can give us. Because in Jesus... It's not a dead end. It's the hope of eternal life. Jesus ultimately fulfills what Solomon is talking about, about these seasons and these times that we're in, that someday this is going to all be set straight. And when I look around and I see that we're all beastly when we are not getting along, we're doing all those things of life, I'm reminded in this, this is this season, this is this time, but it won't always be like this forever. I'm sure there's some other Solomons here today getting older. Time is passing. Maybe ask those questions. What have I done 
with my life? Or what am I supposed to do with my life? Or you ask, what's the use? I try to do what I'm supposed to do, and it just doesn't seem to have any results. I'll just throw up my hands and give it all up. Maybe you're asking, have I really accomplished anything? What am I, what am I doing here? And we can be very melancholy about time. We can be very melancholy about life. We can be very melancholy about the things that are going on. And listen, Solomon encourages us. There's, there's just a time and a season for everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly that we experience in our life, it just happens. It happens to all of us. You are not being picked on. You are not being singled out. You're not be, you are not uh, unique because things are happening. It's just the stuff that happens. But into the middle of that, Solomon reminds us that God makes things beautiful in its time. He takes the ugly and makes it beautiful. He redeems those things. He buys back those hard things in life. What time is it? Romans 13, 11 tells us. Look on your notes. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. The sermon's almost over. Time to wake up so you can go home for lunch. The time has come for you to wake up from sleep. For what? Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. What time is it? Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. Do you know that, that what Paul is talking about in Romans 8, the redemption of our bodies, the restoration of all things, do you know we're a week closer to that than we were last Sunday? Do you know that the restoration, the redemption of all things, the making everything beautiful in its time, do you know that we're a day closer to that than we were yesterday? Do you know the restoration of all things, the redemption of our bodies, the hope in which we were saved? Do you know that we are an hour and 15 minutes closer to that than when we started our service this morning? That should give us hope. That should make us excited. And that we are moving on, that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Your salvation is nearer now than when you walked through these doors. Your salvation is nearer now than when you sat down. Your salvation is nearer now than when I just read that verse 30 seconds ago. And that should give us hope. You see, it's moving us to the resurrection. We, we want time to stand still. We go, Solomon, Solomon, I get what you're saying. There's a season and there's a time for everything, but I don't want those things to happen. Solomon says the reality is they're going to happen and you can't stop it. You can rail against it. You can be angry. You can shake your fist, but those things come. And then we say, we say, Solomon, I know that there's a season and we have these times, but can't we just make time stand still, especially when you have kids? You know, there's, there's like those three days in every child's life, and you just want to keep them like that forever. The rest of the time, like, no, grow up and move on, right? But there's like those three good days in all of our lives when our parents are like, I wish you would say just like you are. And it's probably when you're sleeping, right? And so we, we just want time to stand still. But listen, time doesn't stand still. We need to get to where we are going. Where are we going? The restoration of all things, the resurrection of our bodies. So we need to get to where we are going. And the only way that we will get there is time. We can't take a time machine and like skip it all. We go through time to get to the restoration of all things. 
And so Solomon looks out and he says, I want to tell you the things that I've observed in life. There's a time and there's a season for everything. God is, is redeeming time. He's making things beautiful in his time. But we are moving somewhere. God has said eternity in our hearts. Why would God put eternity in our hearts? To long and have a curiosity for the future and for the eternal because that's where we're moving. You ever drive by a bakery and smell them baking something? I forget where I was this week. They were baking something with cinnamon. Oh, man. So I had this, like, curiosity in my heart, and I wanted to find out where that was coming from. Or if you ever been to a place where they're baking bread. Or how about in your neighborhood if somebody's barbecuing, and you can smell that meat cooking on the grill, right? What does that do? There's this curiosity in us, like, ooh, I'm kind of hungry now. I want to find out where that's coming. That's eternity in our hearts. God has placed that there. Why? Because there really is somebody grilling in my neighborhood. There really is a bakery that's baking bread. There really is a heaven and a restoration of all things that God's moving us toward. Don't despair about time. Don't be sad about the passing of time. God is moving us to a place that is far better than here. I I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. We just need to lift our eyes and look to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Solomon did all the looking for us. Solomon took the work out of it for us. He looked around and he said, you know what? There's a time to build things, and there's a time to throw them away. There's a time to plant, and there's a time to pick up. There's a time to embrace, and a time to... I did all that work for you. You keep your eye on the prize. You keep looking at the glory that's going to be revealed in us because of Jesus. And Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Maybe you're struggling like Solomon. Maybe you are in that negative side of the list that he talked about. And you need to hear God tell you this is a season. It's a season. It's going to pass. The good times pass, but the bad times also pass. It's a season. Hang in there because we are moving to a place. And time is how we get there. There's no other way to get there. There's not some magic thing. There's, we get there through time. So maybe you're in that place today where you're just in the season of difficulty and, and, this, and we, can, we can find encouragement to know that nothing weird is happening to us. It's happened from the beginning of creation until now. People have been experiencing those same emotions, those same frustrations, those same difficulties. So in the midst of that, God sends Jesus. He says, if you trust me, if you receive the gift of salvation I have, you can move forward with hope. Maybe you're just struggling with this whole cycle of life. And God says, we're going somewhere. Buckle your seatbelts and get ready for the ride because it's going to be glorious where we're headed. We have our time of prayer, a time of just commitment, a time just to look at God. It's just a reminder that what? God makes everything, what? Beautiful. And it's time. And it's time. It's God's time not my time it's his time would you please stand and we're going to pray oh father we so struggle we so struggle with time we are all given the same amount every day and we can't carry any of it over till tomorrow and so father help us to spend wisely this time that we've been given 
to do good, to fear you, to to be busy with the business you have given us to accomplish. But God, we can also struggle with time as we move along and as we question the deeper things of life, the purpose and the meaning and the significance of our lives in this world. And thank you for reminding us that our hope is in the resurrection. My hope is not in my accomplishments. My hope is not in my job. My hope is not in my relationship. My hope is not in my family. My hope is not in anything but Jesus. So, Father, we as believers can confidently walk through this planet under the sun. So, Father, over these next few moments, would you just remind us that in its time, in its time, we wait patiently for the things that you have promised us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.